Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Sue Donnellan. She's a parent mentor, a behavioral expert, a mom of four, even though she didn't plan on being one. Sue, welcome. When you reach out to someone and it's not just like you give them the bio, but they like you actually like listen to the show and like thought you'd be a good fit for it. I'm like, uh, if people do that, I'm like, hell yeah, come on. You know what I mean? Great. Good, good. That good. was yeah. so awesome. Yeah. I loved that you did that. Well, thank you. I'm in sales and so just. <laughs> I'm just used to being brazen and just going out there and saying, you know, here, here's my story. And if it fits, it fits. If not, it doesn't. And I've listened to your podcast. I've heard your, some of your other guests and I just thought, okay, this is great. I think this is going to be a good fit. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't really like talked about parenting, but obviously I'm a mom of four. I mean, that's Uh a big part of my life. And I also think that there's a lot of parents in my audience because I asked, you know, hey, do you have any questions for a parenting coach? And I got a bunch. So, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Let's see what we got. Like, I'm sure there are commonly asked questions. So first one I got was kids transitioning into preteen years. You know, it's funny. I I love the preteen and teen years. It was funny because, I mean, you know, you remember my story. I never really wanted kids, you know, independent, married a guy who loves kids, I'll have a kid for you. This is the nicest thing I'll ever do for anybody. And then, you know, had our first, then ended up with natural triplets and went from one to four kids. Like, wait, I didn't even want kids. What, what's happening here? And so when they were young, you know, it's such a burden on your body, being pregnant, you're sleep deprived. My husband loved the baby phase. Thank God, because he was great. He was patient. Back before I learned all my, my tips and tricks, I was screaming and yelling and stressed and, you know, all of the things that all of us do. And he was great and patient. And then we sort of flip-flopped. And then when the kids got older, I really kind of kicked in because it's more, it's more of a mindset. It's more psychology when they get to be preteens. So, okay. So what's the specific question? Yeah. They start wanting more alone time and less mommy and daddy. So, well, okay. So what I would say is that by the time they get to be preteens, you know, hopefully with the book that I wrote and the mentoring, my ideal client has a three to six-year-old because if we can get the parent in the parenting mindset between three and say six, where they're allowing, you know, freedom within boundaries and they're allowing the parent is learning how to let go of some control and they're allowing kids to have natural consequences in the home. And they're learning some respectful methods to to teach their children how to make their own decisions and how they need to entertain themselves and how they can take accountability. And I have certain tips that I teach for younger phases. If you've sort of laid that foundation for them, by the time they get to be teens, you've already learned how to let go of that control. You've already learned to let go of guilt. And that's like the first half of the book. I wrote all of these things because that's the process that I went through. 
I'm not in charge of you. You're in charge of you. I'm only in charge of me. They're their own person. And I'm big into intuition. I'm big into intuitiveness. We've all got natural gifts toward that. And I happen to be more in tune and taught the kids those types of things and just going with your gut and learning your instincts and just letting go. I think that we need to not be so afraid. Fear is a problem where it's crippling sometimes you're just like the more freedom the child gets the more we feel like we have to start clamping down and actually it's the opposite so a lot of the things that i teach and train are counterintuitive this isn't permissive parenting but it's kind of more like let's come up with the curfews together what is reasonable what's going to work for all of us asking the kids the questions giving them that respect when you start using those types of measures and less control it's remarkable. Kids really want to know that you respect and trust them. And sometimes if you just, even if you're not feeling like you trust them and you tell them, I really trust you, oh, it's like they absorb that in and they become that trustworthy kid. But you also have to understand that kids are adults in training and that our job is to train them. My feeling is at the preteen years, the more mistakes they can make under the safety net of my home, the better. So I encouraged more experiences. I encouraged them to get out there and live their life and do these types of things. Because if you don't, those are the parents whose kids just get rebellious as soon as they get to high school or get to college. They're like, Hi, I'm free. You know, my kids already felt a sense of freedom and trust and respect as a teenager. My kids do too. And I honestly, like, even though they would maybe say that I'm a little strict, like, I Uh feel like we have pretty good open communication and that I do give them a lot of freedom. And it's not even about being strict or not strict as much as it's about respect of them as a person and just knowing that they have an opinion and that they have ideas and then soliciting those thoughts and ideas and incorporating them into your decisions. One of the most successful things that we did was I had very few rules and this is not about permissiveness. This is like, I had very few rules. I had a lot of expectations, but I had few rules and the rules that I had, I enforced a hundred percent of the time. So one of the rules that I had was curfew and curfew was always 30 minutes before their friends. And that was just a tactic that I used because if they're home at 1130, how many times did my kids wake up the next day and hear, you wouldn't believe what happened when you left, (laughs) you know, all the like really salacious stuff was happening in just in those 30 minutes or even an hour later. So we had it 30 minutes before and it was non-negotiable. And when they did try to push back and a few times they pushed the boundaries, they got busted back to nine and had to earn that freedom again. So the consequence was curfew related and other parents were clamping down, taking cars, taking keys, taking phones, these restrictive measures when you've got teens and they're looking to exercise some more freedom, they don't work. They don't work. Punishment methods don't work. You've got to have dialogue, trust, communication, and rules that you're not going to deviate on, but don't overwhelm them with a ton of rules because, you know, who wants that? They're looking for some freedom. So freedom within boundaries is really the best way to treat them and just trust. When does the wanting freedom really start? You know, every kid is different. I've had friends who had teenagers who went through high school without a moment's worth of trouble and then got to college and really started pushing back and doing all these crazy things. And then with our kids, we had a little bit, I was very open. 
you know, I'm Italian. I'm like, I talk about everything. I'm, I mean, to the point where the kid's like, mom, ew, you know, like I swear like a sailor, like nothing was off limits. And if you treat your kids like a real person and you have a great sense of humor and you talk openly with them about reality, you don't try to hide from them. They really respond to that. And I just found that being open and having open communication and not lying to them and not trying to hide, you know, like if you're having trouble with your marriage or, you know, whatever you've got going on, don't think that you can't talk to them about that because they know, they know. So the earlier you have this open dialogue and this open communication and trust, respect for them, the earlier, you know, I think they're going to spread their wings and have those experiences. And the earlier and more often you have a chance to parent them. If you're restrictive, it's only a matter of time before that boomerangs back and they're pushing it and they're pushing boundaries and they're rebelling. The parents right now that are parenting teenagers are, they've got a lot of fear and there's so much stuff our kids are navigating. You know, it, it's just on their phones, there's, there's porn, there's hookup sites, there's drugs everywhere. Drugs are rampant. If you're not talking to your kids about these things, you know, you're doing them a disservice because you're missing out on opportunities to parent them. And if you think that your kid isn't talking to you about it, or you're not bringing it up, that it's not happening, well, then that's just denial. These parents that I see that are clamping down at 17 and you can't go to prom or you can't do this, or you can't do that. That's counterintuitive to getting the results that we want. I want to know like what used to make you scream. Oh, well, the young ages made me scream. It's just the sheer stress. And just my older one is a real confident kid. And he just, if I was having a bad day, he would exploit that. If I was having a really, really good and kind day, I was exploited every day. I had to toe the line straight. I couldn't veer either way or I was exploited. So he thought it was really fun to make the triplets cry. And every time he was around them, they were crying and a lot of that type of attention behavior. And when you're tired and I was running my own business out of the home, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and my husband went to combat and I was home alone. We had four kids under four in a new town. I had no friends and family nearby. What made me scream and yell was just the frustration of that repetitive behavior that kids do. And it took me a while to connect dots and realize that children, it's all about phase behavior. So kids are about phases. And once you see a a behavior that comes up, that's making you yell and making you upset, repetitive, maybe once or twice you go, ah, okay. You back that up and go, okay. I know like when I'm going to put him in the playpen with them, someone's going to cry. So once I learned how to be preemptive toward the phase repetitive behavior, that's when I stopped yelling because I started predicting, okay, with this kid or, or say, for example, you know, you go to target and every time they're screaming, they want candy they want this, they want that. That's repetitive behavior that, you know, as a parent, you know, you've got to get under control. So you're going to preempt that and go, I'm predicting this behavior. You know, I'm going to look at the big picture and go, I know this is coming. How am I going to handle this? I'm not going to just be in the moment and allow it to erupt every single time and then have my trigger where I'm like, I'm yelling. I said, do it and do it and like it, like it and do it now. (laughs) You know, because because I didn't really know any better. I was like, wait, aren't kids supposed to listen? Like that just really sent me through the roof was that, that type of little kitty behavior. I wanted to just go sit down and be quiet and entertain themselves. And it doesn't work like that. (laughs) So, so you said that you preempted it, but like, if you know that that behavior is going to happen, like, how can you, how can you Okay. So that's one of the tricks of the trade that that is gold. So 
a lot of the phase behavior, I'll just give the example in, in my own life and you can apply it to whatever situation you're going through is that we had this huge playpen for the triplets. I connected some like outdoor fences and they were in there and the kid and Matt, my older one wanted to go in and play. Every time you went in there within 30 seconds, somebody was crying and that was an attention getting thing. And you know, it's annoying and I'm working. And so preempting, knowing every time he goes in there, they're going to cry. So kids do certain things to bug you because it gets a rise out of you. When you see that happening once or twice and you find yourself yelling, ask yourself, what's making me yell? What's triggering this? Stop in the moment and say, okay, you want to go in and play, but what are we going to do if when you go in there, someone cries? And he said, oh, you know, I guess I have to come out. And I said, okay. And when you come out, then what's going to happen? What will you do? Uh, I guess I have to sit on the stairs. I said, okay. So he's now the author of the consequence. The old Sue put him in, knew in the back of my mind he's going to make him cry, got up out of my chair. I, why are you always making him cry? You always, you know, I'm just in the moment and I'm yelling and I'm responding. Now I preempt what are we going to do if they cry? Because I know that behavior's coming. Okay. So sure enough, drop them in there, come back to my office, start working. And 30 seconds later, kids are crying. I don't have to yell. I walk over calmly and say, what did we agree to? And he says, I have to come out. I said, okay, done. Accountability taken, like accountability done. So he comes out and I say, okay, what did you say you were going to do? Sit on the stairs. I said, okay, now here's the key. Here's the key. When you're ready to play with them without making them cry, when you're ready, you may join them. 30 seconds later, he decides he's ready. I trust him. I take him at his word and no crying. Why? Because he was that author of the consequence. I went over and said, what did you agree to? I used the words agree. Now he's taking, and he's four and a half and he's taking accountability all because I preempted the behavior. Then I gave him freedom. I didn't go sit down and I'm going to tell you how long you have to sit out. And I'm telling you all of this. Kids at every age want to have a little bit of control in their lives. Everybody wants to have control. So by saying when you're ready to play without someone crying, he's taking ownership now of his behavior. And he goes, I'm ready. And I take him at his word. That's trust. That's trust at four and a half. It's accountability at four and a half. If he went back in there and they cried again, all I had to do was go over and go, what did we agree to? It works like a charm. But then also on the back end, he had the freedom to decide when he was ready. This wasn't a parent directed thing. This wasn't me saying, I'll decide when you get to go back in. You sit on the stairs, you know, like timeouts. They just don't work because no behavior is really changing. Now I want to know how you got three kids in a crib. Okay. So what we did was we took our dining room, which we weren't really using. And you know, those outdoor pet fences that you can piece together. It's like an outdoor plastic pet fence. So we put that in the dining room. I pieced it together. So my whole dining room had like a, like a fence and I sewed a bunch of sheets together and tied them so that if they threw up or a diaper leaked or whatever, it didn't go through to the carpet. And I just put them in there and they had all their toys. I threw them in. So basically my whole dining room was just this big fashioned playpen. Yeah. I had to come up with some special ideas, but you know, that idea would work for even one child because I'm, I'm an old fashioned mom. Like the kids need to be, I'm not getting on the ground and playing with you and entertaining you. You know, I may swear like a sailor, but the B word was not allowed in my home and that's bored. 
don't you ever tell me you're bored. That's the B word. I may say F-U-C-K is like every day, all day when I'm pissed off and stressed, but those are adult words and you can use it when you're an adult, but you may not say the B word. And even now the kids are in college and like, don't ever tell me you're bored because that's a state of mind. That's just the philosophy. That's the mindset that I had, which is why the title of my book, Parenting Without Giving an F, you know, it's like a counterintuitive idea, but like children are their own beings they're their own individuals and they need to be treated with that trust and that respect that they're their own people. They don't need me intervening all the time and entertaining them. It's not my job. I still want to go back to like you <laughs> having triplets. I mean, from one to four kids and like that chapter must have been insane. Like how did you deal with like feeding them, crib training them, all of that? I'm going to tell you a little dirty secret. After having one, <laughs> okay, one, all the phases, terrible twos, it's actually terrible threes, all the potty training, all that stuff was so much more exasperated than with the three. The three sort of bonded together and had each other and... Back in those early days, actually, the triplets were easy. It was the older one that created the challenge, not because he's a real confident kid, but because also it was an interesting dynamic, you know, because we had the triplets, identical boys and a girl. So you have the dynamic of the identicals and the girl and then the older son. So it was a very challenging kind of dynamic for, for me that I kind of had to incorporate into the big picture and just make sure that my older one was sorped by three babies, not one, three. So it was definitely a challenge. I mean, it's doable and it's workable, but I think the funniest part is a person like me who never really even wanted kids and never babysat for money and never really held anybody's baby and never wanted, you know, just it's hysterical. Anyone that knows me from my early days is still laughing over how I would have ended up with <laughs> my trying to have my second baby and ending up with triplets. Like it's, it's funny. <laughs> So yeah, it was, it was challenging and, and, and fun and it's a gift, but it, it took me a few years to see that. <laughs> when did you get the triplets in a crib? All of my babies want to be in my bed till they're two years old. Oh. Did you have any babies that wanted to do that to you? Never, never, <laughs> never, never, never. We need to talk about that. What are you, this is like, this is where I come down to parenting is about us. It's not about the kids. You know, when we have difficult behavior with our kids, the common idea is that we are to fix the children and parenting is really not about fixing children. It's about changing ourselves and our changing. If I'm yelling, how do I change to get my kids to listen? How do I motivate them through my different methods? And so what I would say is how are your kids ending up in your bed? Like what events and what, what, what things are happening to where you're inviting them in? So I would say for you, that's something that you want to ask yourself and say, how did I get into this situation and how can I stop it? He was a preemie uh -huh. and, you know, I spent six months doing the pumping and the nursing. Yes, that's hard. And it was crazy. He was three pounds and he finally fattened up enough where I could just nurse. And, it's and I felt scary, like that, you know? it was scary. And I felt like too, oh, that was such a milestone to stop having to pump and nurse. And I was like, oh, I was just so happy that he took to it because, you know, my other ones just from the very beginning, that's all I did. You know, uh -huh. I just nursed on demand and with him, you know, he had to have the tube down his nose and he had to be, you know, fed in the hospital. He was in the NICU for two months. And this is definitely like my last baby, but he also has like this thing where he throws a fit to the point of like barfing. 
none of my other kids did that. That's a, that's and, a tantrum. Yeah. That's a tantrum. Yeah. Get themselves, oh, they allow themselves to get really worked up. Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm exhausted. Yes. And so that's how he, it's just easier. Now, at least we've gotten to the point where like I nurse him once and then he'll sleep through the night and then he'll wake up and he'll ask for it. But literally he'll ask for it, you know? Yeah. And then even on his naps, like if I get him to sleep in the stroller, like today I got him to sleep in the stroller, he wakes up cranky and then requests it. And mm-hmm. I cave in and like, it's not that long and it's, you know, I, I know well, what there's some, there's yeah. some guilt going on in terms of the fact that you said he's your last baby. Right. And you're looking to hold on to all of those moments that, you know, aren't coming again if this is your last and there's also I tell um, him I'm like you're a big boy now you don't need to be doing that for now time like I literally oh, talk to him like that and then like oh. and how old is he he's almost two he'll be two oh. in like a month and like at night I'm like okay you've gone back and forth like two three times on each side I'm like you're good buddy you roll over and snuggle your daddy you know uh-huh. Like well, I say he, that and he gets it. Like sometimes he'll literally just roll over and go to sleep. And I'm like, praise oh, God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Does he have a crib? We do have a crib in our room, but we decided because he loves Elmo to get the little Elmo bed. And now we've taken the mattress from the crib and put it in Elmo. And sometimes like, I think twice he has slept in the Elmo bed for his nap, but uh-huh. it's his daddy, like literally like rocking him and then popping him there when he's like, pretty much asleep. A lot of times we don't realize that our kids are playing us, you know, and I remember with my, with my first, no, with my firstborn at six months, you know, if you're in my arms, happy and cooing, and I walk to the crib and put you in the crib and you immediately start crying, you're manipulating me at six months. And I, you know, my eyes were wide open. Like I see this. And so you're crying yourself to sleep because there's not a lot of things that they need. They're fed and they're diapered and it's time to go to sleep. So lights out. So every night, the same routine, bed, lights out, door shut. I'm not coming back in, you know, and he did the same. He would get himself into a tizzy where he'd throw up and, you know, he'd hear it on the monitor and, you know, you go through a few nights of pain. Somebody listening to this might be going, oh my God, you know, this woman's a huge, you know, biatch. But the thing is that, you know, I don't really want to be that needed. And I know that sounds horrible, but like, this is the mindset for parenting. Like I respect you enough that you can put yourself to sleep. It's disrespectful for me to keep coddling you and going in and making this a thing. And that's where I say with parenting, like that's our deal. We have to own our behavior and understand that our behavior and our words are bringing on the behavior from the child. They feed off us. Like I even write a chapter about no guilt. Like if I make a mistake or I or do something that I regret, you know, I take care of it and I apologize and I'm, and then I don't look back. Like that's just, you know, I thought it was better for the kids that way. One of the best things that I'm so proud of with my kids is that they love being alone. They enjoy their time alone. They know how to entertain themselves by themselves. They don't need their friends and, you know, this crutch of the social media and having you know, all this input and having friends validate how you feel, whatever, like get to know yourself, get to know your gut, your intuition. And I was big about really promoting that. I think that the best advice really is just the empowerment of you as the parent. So like the fact that you're, you own the culture of your home. And so if something's bothering you, 
that you really just like, you know, I'm just done. I really want this kid to sleep. Then <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. Understand the power that you have is really where I'm saying is even though this might be coming off as it's, it's mean, or it's like, oh my gosh, she's, she's I yeah. said, I'm done. Then you have to yeah, mean it. That, that's the hard you part. I mean. I'm not good at the puke and cleaning puke. I'm not good at the, you deal with it. I'm just like, you know what? It's easier. You know, it is easier. No, it's yeah. way easier. Yeah. And that's like, I talk about that, about remote control parenting. Like I want to just be able to sit on my, and you know, and just, Hey, you know, stop that. do this. Like you, you can't, yeah. if you're going to bed exhausted, you, you're, you get up your game, <laughs> you know? The thing is though, is what's really great is when I go to sleep with him at 10 and then I get up in the morning, like he's ensuring my eight hours of sleep and it's special time and still like, it's keeping me accountable from not being a workaholic and a social media-holic. That's what I mean. Like if, if it's bothering you, understand that you have the power to change the behavior and behave differently to get that to stop. And if you're enjoying it, then embrace it and enjoy it. I, I think for me, it's all about just the empowerment of the parent and understanding that we can make our decisions and change our mind and change our behavior to affect the behavior of our child. And it all depends on what you want. So you own the culture and whatever behavior is happening, we have it within our power to, to change that behavior. And it starts with us. Here's another tough subject that I know all parents struggle with, and it's mealtime. How do you get your kids to freaking eat what you make? You let it go. I'm busy. So I don't make more than one meal. I'm in charge of me. I am not in charge of you. And my behavior toward the children was always that boundaries and freedom within the boundaries. So you can have two snacks a day. One snack needs to be a fruit. You choose the fruit. One snack needs to be, you know, gets to be a cookie. You choose the cookie boundaries, freedom within the boundaries. And so when it comes to food, I was always like, look, mom's working and I'm not there to cater to you. That's not about, that's not my life to just be there making sure that I'm making every little thing. I think the thing about food is that it just all works out. It, and, you know, we make a big deal about, you know, I made pork and you need to sit and eat this pork and you need to eat these vegetables. And kids are just funny creatures. They like peanut butter and jelly every single night for three months straight and they're happy and they're fine and they're getting the nutrition they need. There's certain things we just don't need to throw down over. And so I wasn't really hard and fast about that. I would make a meal. And if you didn't like out of the things that I'm making, what are you going to eat? And depending on how old they are, if they want to go make a sandwich and join us, like I just didn't worry about stuff like that. Those were things that I kind of just let go, but I, but make no mistake. I wasn't catering. It wasn't like, if you're not eating, I'm going to get up and go make you something else. Absolutely not. Again, I'm only in charge of me. I made the meal. You're choosing not to eat it. Some of those things we just don't need to worry ourselves over. And I know that sounds cavalier, but there's too many other landmines that we're stepping around to worry about that. So I'm in charge of me. I'm making dinner. This is what's for dinner. Did your kids ever say, mom, stop working? You know, no, because I worked from home and so they could come in and see me and talk to me. You know, I'm running my own business, but nobody even gave a crap. You know, nobody cared. Like they would walk in, they didn't care. They were loud. Summers were horrible. I was balancing all of that. I think if you shut the door and put, you know, stay out, nobody cares. Kids don't care. You know, like if you're famous, they, you know, all the famous people tell you like, my kids don't care that I'm famous. Like they don't care that mom's working, but they never really told me I worked too much because they had access to me at home and I was there to see them or hear them or pick them up or whatever. I had that freedom. 
luckily, I think that if I worked outside the home, maybe that would have been a little bit more of a problem because, you know, kids miss their moms if they're working. It's hard. You know, women, as awesome as my husband is and was during those years, tremendous, great help. But I still had two full-time jobs. It's the way that it is. A working mom is a working mom. If you're a mom, you're a working mom. You're a working mom as a mom. If I'm working from home and I'm doing another job, that's that's two full-time jobs. And the reality is the school's called me. Also, I don't do guilt. I'm different that way than most people. Like I just make the decision. I don't, I don't own guilt. I don't do guilt. You can't make me feel guilty. Yeah, I may be Catholic, but I don't own, I don't buy that. I don't buy any of that. Where does I, that come from? I don't know, but I wrote a whole chapter on that because we have to let it go. It's, it's, it's a wasted emotion. It does nothing. You know, either apologize if you made a mistake or change it. If I made a mistake or did something I regretted, like, you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. I'll do better tomorrow. Done. It made me a better parent. And I just, that's just kind of the personality that I have. And it served me well. And I really delved into that in the book because I feel like so many moms beat themselves up unnecessarily. And, and what's it for? Do you feel like your parents play into your parenting style? Yes and no. I mean, my, my, my mom and dad were super close and I, my mom was, you know, my best friend. She's awesome, was an awesome mom, but she also was really controlling. And I remember just always lying, lying to my mom all the time. And I looked, when I had my own kids, I looked back and thought, how can I make sure that my kids don't lie to me? Why did I lie? And I came up with the answer that it was because she took away all my sense of control since your husband was flying fighter jets and he was coming back into your home that you're running, what did that do? That's a great question because he knowingly, willingly married an independent woman who he knew would support him and could handle things. He's a a type of guy who took ownership of the fact that like, that's who he married and that's who, what he appreciated about me. So he, it was really on him that when he came back, he sort of stepped back and allowed the process to sort of like, you know, you get into this rhythm. I had to realize that for myself and realize, okay, I'm going to have to back off and let him assimilate. And he also acknowledged that he needed to kind of find the new routine and figure out where he fit in. So I give him really 50% of the credit on that. Just having that awareness and that respect for me that he asked me to step up and be home and take care of things. And I did it. I think others too have problems when they have either like different religions or different parenting styles, or somebody's a military wife. Like, you know, if one parent is primarily parenting Mm -hmm. and then the other one is trying to fit into that, what are some tips on how that can work. Well, well, it really comes down to communication and respect. I find that all of us, what we do is we, we build, build, build until we get angry and then we yell in the moment. So we will find that, you know, we'll suck it up, suck it up. And then, and then we blow up, pull your sibling aside when there's no controversy and have a mature conversation, sit them down and go, Hey, when you do this, this makes me feel like this. Don't bring it up in the moment. And I have a chapter about magic mantra. That's my magic mantra. I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. And so when it comes to relationships and being respectful with one another, make your decision, communicate it with respect. And the other person, you know, I'm not in charge of what you think and how you feel. I'm not going to take that on. That's on you. And I treated the kids that way too. Were there ever days where you're like, I'm not making freaking dinner? 
oh yeah, yeah, we're eating out. Come on, kids, we're going to dinner. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, a, I don't like cooking. I'm not a big fan of, of that. Tell me then, about what your clients mainly come to you for. You know, it really runs the gambit. I had a lot of, a lot of tantrum, sibling fights, those types of things, those recurring things. The back talk is, is a big thing. Kids just not being respectful, kids not wanting to talk, kids just being, how do I have a better relationship with my kids? I personally love the teenage stuff. I could talk for hours and help people with teenagers all day long. I have a mom who's got six kids and she has had a couple of issues with porn. <laughs> and, you know, we've talked at length about how to handle that. Kids have access to all this stuff. Yeah. I interviewed like a sex ed teacher. She was saying they're discovering it at like eight or nine even. Yeah. Elaborate, please. Well, you know, it depends on the age and it depends on the configuration. Like in her home, she's got a baby and then she's got these, these two older boys. I think they're like 14 and 16. And so the 14 and 16 year olds independently were going through this. Well, so number one, she needed to put the filters on through her Wi-Fi. She wasn't even aware of that. But because they were older, what I encouraged her to do was to sit down independently with both boys. One of them was pushing the limits a little bit more than the other. One was just more curious. The other one was like 16, about ready to go into senior year, and then was going to be gone in a year. And so what we did was we crafted a script for her to sit down and talk to him about the porn industry. And that, first of all, respect. I know that you're 16. I know your hormones are raging. I know you're curious. This is normal. You're not in trouble. But what I think you need to understand is that the porn industry is born from child sex trafficking. And so she went in and we crafted a whole thing about how to explain to him that this isn't just about the titillation for him at that moment. Yes, I understand that. And that's normal and that's okay. But understand that when you consume this type of stuff and when you're watching this and you'd be surprised the amount of parents that aren't willing or are afraid or awkward to talk to their kids in this manner. We have to explain this to our boys and then, and then make it real. It launched a whole dialogue of stuff that men need to hear. You know, just explain these things to the kids. And when I did that with our kids, it was funny because they would come, oh, mom, you know, bleh. and then they would, I'd hear them talk, telling them for like a week later, they'd be explaining the same thing. I was just telling them to their friend. <laughs> You know, so I think, you know, it goes in, but if you don't do it, then who will? When did you start I, talking to them about it? As early as possible. I mean, we just, everything was on the table. I, I was unflappable and I, I branded myself as unflappable. You could talk about anything and early when they're young, they're not embarrassed. But if you don't, if you haven't done that yet, and now you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I've got a 10 or 12 year old and just start talking about this stuff. You got to go through the discomfort and know that this is my job, because if I don't do this, who will, who will talk to my kids about the reality of, of what's going on out there? Did you talk to your daughters about? Controversial, but my daughter, you know, in my opinion, she needed to hear this message that we have ownership of how much we're drinking, what we're doing, what message we're sending. So this girl got drunk with this guy, got in her pajamas, climbed up to his loft and got into bed with him and then got upset that he was handsy. Well, of course he should have stopped. And that's again, what we talk about with our sons. Hey, when a girl says no, she means no. And there is no, that's a line. But with my daughter, I say, are you allowed to go and just be, you make yourself vulnerable 
you know, you can, but understand that when you make yourself vulnerable, this is what you put yourself into. If you go back with a guy that you don't know, you need to take some ownership. Does that mean that you deserve to be assaulted in any way? Absolutely not. But understand that what we want to do is talk about prevention. So these conversations need to be had. My job as the parent is to just get it all out there, say what I can, and give them as much information so that they can make their own decisions. I don't have any ownership over what they decide. That's where the letting go of control. That's the leap. That's the respect. My daddy is definitely going to have something to say about this. Ah, really? Oh, good. (laughs) What's he about? Is he about control or is he about? Well, he will agree with you about taking responsibility for the situations that you put yourself in. I'm going to say that. One of the biggest compliments my daughter ever gave me was like, mom, I could talk to you about anything without judgment. Kids are people and they're going to make mistakes. That's how they learn. Just be there to talk about it and troubleshoot it so that you can get that on their course correction so they can move in the right direction. That's your job. Would you like to ask my daddy anything? What was, what was his parenting strategy in terms of like when you were naughty, if you were rebellious or what, what was his go-to method? Screaming. No, <laughs> we'll let him answer, but there was definitely some years of that. We all do it. I shit, even though I say, you know, learn how to stop yelling. And I was a major yeller. I'm a reformed yeller now, but yeah, you know, yeah, Hey, yelling's got its place. Like I said, I'm Italian. Like, you know, nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I'm passionate. I, well, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can I get you to say better call daddy, like Italian style? Better call daddy. I don't know. <laughs> my years in New York. I'm not sure. I have, I'm not sure I can say it that well. <laughs> That's cute. Okay, cool. So how can people connect with you? Oh, well, they can go to the website, askmomparenting.com. For your listeners, they can get on 20 minutes free. They have a free parenting consultation for 20 minutes. We can sit and chat and you'll get at least one great takeaway idea. That's free. Okay. And if there's a fit, we can continue talking. And then, you know, my book is the secrets to parenting without giving an F that's on Amazon. So that's available as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Rena. thank you so much for having me on. This has been so fun. Now let's move it on to grandpa. This is your interview with Sue. She's a mom and a coach of moms and a young lady that has shown that working one or two jobs and raising a family in today's society is not only possible, but can be quite rewarding for everyone in the family as well. And then you're going to say, what are the distinguishing factors of this relationship? Number one is that if you have children and they see that their parents are working and that they also take interest in their children where they want to have a relationship with them, and they want them to learn the skills and develop themselves, and they're interested in their ideas and how they communicate their ideas, where they're a person in the house, where their opinions count, that's what you call building a relationship that can be enduring. If you're telling someone what to do all the time, if you are taking the responsibility of what all your children are doing at all times, then they will not take responsibilities. They'll always have someone to blame. They'll always say that it's not my fault and it's someone else's idea. And I just went along with the crowd because I wanted to be liked. And instead of an individual person taking control of their lives, they're dependent on others. So as a parent, we have to be very careful 
not to make your children so dependent on ours where they will not be independent on their own. Right. That's what she teaches is how to raise independent children. I agree with that 100%. A very interesting subject is the word trust. We want to be able to trust our children, but maybe the, some of the differences is that some of that trust has to be earned. And it's either some type of reward system or some type of result have to be able to be indicated that if you want me to believe you and you want me to trust you, you have to be able to put some of your chips into the table so that I see by your actions that they make sense and that you can be trusted. She's talking about freedom and control at the same time, and she's really doing both. Isn't that interesting? To avoid power struggles, you have she's to- She's picking uh, her battles. Exactly. And isn't that what we've all discussed all through you all's growing up, is that we have to pick our battles. The other thing that occurs, that children want attention, whether you're ready to give it to them or not. So the point is, is that if we are working hard, if we're distracted by some of our busy, busy lives, and a child doesn't really give a darn what you think is so important, they will try however they can to get attention. I think clearly very, very important that the training of our minds of learning through the experiences of choices that we learn how to pick the right ones. And everyone has to be responsible for those choices. As we've talked in previous episodes, God has given us free will, but not just give you an open book test where all the answers are in there. You've got to figure it out. And he gives you an outline of what to do, but it's up to us to experience it, see how life treats us, and to pick our path. Sometimes we have to pivot off a path, but it's got to be where we're equipped to make those pivots. Otherwise, we can get lost in the woods. Oh, yeah. It sounds like you've learned a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. And the funny part is, is that something that's not been brought up again in this interview, but we have in others, is what is important in life and what is the real values of life and developing and training and giving to others and training someone else to go by some of your own experiences. Guess what? That, that's a great gift. Teachers and mentors get a lot out of their students if they're able to reciprocate that same respect to others as well. I agree with that. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 